0: Oh, stop a guy, a ched her masya. Rama Krishna Yatinamaha. Vasudeva sutam devam. Kangsachanuramurdhanam. (coughs) They (coughs) were (coughs) keeparamanandam. (coughs) Vandi So in the last class, <clears throat> we were studying the 11th and the 12th slokas of the third chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where we find <clears throat> that the idea of Yajna has been elaborated by Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Just to recapitulate the 12th sloka, what the sloka was, the Ishtan Bhogan Hivodeva, Dasyante yagya bhavita tai tatan apradayabhyo yo bhoomte sthen evasaha So ishtan bhogan what that word means? The ishta means the desired object. That why the chosen deity is called ishta? The same reason. That's the you want to have communion with that aspect of the divinity so it's actually the desire for communion with that aspect of divinity that's why that it is called ishta so the broader meaning of ishta is that any desired thing so ishtan bhogan so it means all the objects of desire which you cherish for so that's the idea so the the devas cherished by yajna when you just Uh, please the devas by doing the yajya, they will give you the objects of your desire. As in the last class, we were saying that if we take in the limited sense, it is not wrong. Yes, that all our worship, all our yajyas that we do are meant for some material benefit. Where though it is not the highest spirituality, but still, It is good, why? That we have developed a faith in the divinity. That I still want the objects of the world, but somehow I have developed the idea that there is something divine who can come to my help. So the awareness of something which is transcending this world, that has developed. So that's that way we will find even Bhagawan says that even uh, bhakti with desire is good. But that's not the highest. So here the idea, if we take in that limited sense, it's okay. That for the desired objects, when I try to propitiate the divine, they will give me the, uh, give me those objects of desire. So Dasyante, Dasyanta means they will give Yagya Bhavita, being, Yagya Bhavita, being cherished by the yagyas, they will give me the objects of desire. But after attaining the objects of desire, if I think that I alone will be enjoying it, then then he is just a thief. He is just stealing. So so and those who enjoys the objects given by the devas without offering them in return, so he is verily really a thief. So many uh, that if let us take from the even Puranic point of view. That many ask the question: Do God uh, is uh, is God not aware of the mind of one who is praying? We find in the entire Puranas that even the ashuras they do lot of tapas. They are doing a lot of tapas, a lot of austerity. They are trying to propitiate the divine, and they do succeed in propitiating the Divine and they do get their object of desire. There are so many stories. But they are all thieves, why? Because the things which they get. This is the law of the nature. If you really want something, you will get. But now comes a responsibility. What are you going, going to do with that? If you think you are going to enjoy yourself and entire thing, you are just a thief. Just the way when the society which has brought you up, with all the resource which you got from the society, which has brought you up, and with all my education, with all my skills, I get a job. And I think that whatever salary I get, it is meant for me. You will find there also. The government has kept a system in the form of tax, you have to return something. The collective welfare which has nurtured you, you are also supposed to uh, contribute to that. Even if you're not stealing, but if you're not paying tax, you are considered as a thief. So here also those who are uh, being, after propitiating the divine, if I do get If I propitiate the divine, if I get the boon, I get the object of desire, but I don't in any way try to pay back to the society. It's meant for exploitation. All the powers is meant for exploitation. Knowing for certain, I am also to be considered as a thief, like all the Asuras. And the rule of the society is such that if you are a thief, You will be punished. And that's why we find that the Asuras, after attending the boon, they're again punished by the same devas. Those stories do speak of the way of life which we should adopt if we really want that our life should be integrated. And at the same time, the Abhudaya, the social welfare, should also be there. So, what there? That whatever I get, I should pay back for the collective welfare. If I'm not doing it, then I am a thief. So everywhere, whether it is nature, in the, we we are disturbing the ecological balance by taking from nature, but not giving back in return. As we find that in the present day, that because of over cultivation, because of industrialization, that we are, we are the big question mark has come that there is going to be a mass extinction if we go on this way. So this extinction can come in various ways. In the present day and in the last class we were indicating that all the viral infections, many are not aware of the fact that it is because of the depletion of the flora and fauna. That there was for eons together for ages together there was a wonderful coexistence between the varied flora and fauna and these viruses and when because of our greed this flora and fauna is depleting the virus which used to be existing with all those flora and fauna now they want new host they want to survive but at the same time They don't know the balance. They take the human as the new host and there we find that it is creating havoc. All the epidemics at last has to end up in an endemic where we develop somehow the capacity to remain, to coexist with the virus. How it happens, that the virus after all, any infection the virus doesn't want to die. It also wants to exist. But at the beginning, it doesn't know how to cope up with the body, that balance is not there. So we find it just simply damages the body and at the cost of its own existence. If the person dies, the so-called the, all the virus or the uh, microbe, microbes, they also lose their so the source of sustenance. So they also have to die. So they are also trying to how we can coexist but it takes time but in the in the time, in the process we find that one after another these pandemics are coming the viral infections the new variants are coming it's because that we have disturbed the nature we have stolen from the nature and we are being punished not only in the form of viral infection in every you will find that this the global warming the at the present this extreme pollution And even as we have developed tremendous selfishness, even within the house, domestic violence, everything you will find the result is because we are trying to steal. Stealing doesn't mean something gross act of stealing others property. That stealing is what, whenever we are not paying back in some form or other, to the society, what have what we have got it got from the society? We are all the products of collective goodness. We, no one can claim that it is just he or she alone by his own skills has become what her, he or she is. Yes, we may have intelligence, we may have some faculties which is much developed than others, but it has to be nurtured by the collective society. No one can think of just be uh, a grown-up person with all the skills without being nurtured by the society. The society has nurtured us. We have to pay back. If we are not paying back, we are stealing. And for stealing, there is punishment. And we have to, we have to undergo that punishment. So that's the thing which Bhagavan is indicating in the 12th sloka. So now let us proceed to the 13th, 14th, Fifteenth uh, and the sixteenth sloka. So these slokas now gradually, uh, so, sorry, the thirteenth will also uh, will be speaking of the concept of yogya, and then the concept of chakra. That uh, this all the interdependence goes on in in this life. We will find everything is dependent on something else, and this interconnectedness will is as if there is a will of it. It goes on in cycles. So uh, one of those cycles will be indicated in the fourteenth, fifteenth, and in the sixteenth sloka. Before that, we let us go to the first proceed to the thirteenth verse. So what the thirteenth verse is saying, yagya shishta sina santo mutchante sarvakil vishei bhunjate te tu agham papa He pachantyatma karanat yagya shishta yagya shishta means the remnants of yagya. Ashina means the eaters. Ashradhatu from the dead, eating. The eaters of the remnants of yagya Yajna, Shishtashina, Santo. Those good persons. Those noble ones. Santo means those noble ones. Who feed on, who sustain themselves by the remnants of the yagya. After doing the yagya, what he has to contribute, he has contributed. Whatever remains, with that he sustains himself. Such good ones, such noble ones, they are freed from all sins. Muchyante sarva kilvishai. <muchyante sarva kilvishay Kil, kilvi, means all sins. So from kilvishai means sins. He is relieved from, freed from all the sins. But those, those who just cook for themselves, means those who devour everything, for themselves. So they are as if eating sin. bhunjate tu te tu aghaṁ. Aghaṁ means sins. bhunjate means to feed, to eat. So those who are eating only for themselves, those who cook for themselves. ye pachanti atma, pachanti pachanti means to cook, Atmakarana for himself alone himself or herself. The one who cooks for himself or herself alone means one who, whatever resource he has, it is he divorces the entire thing himself or herself. Never shares it with others. Know it for certain, he or she is feeding on sin. Aghaṃ. Aghaṃ means sin. He is eating. He feeds on sin. So, that's the idea which we find, Bhagavan again is saying, that as we told that this world is interdependent, where we have to sustain ourselves, but at the same time, we have to contribute to the cycles the wills of interdependence which is going on. We will find that in even in other animals, that idea is there, that example which we always give, the law of the jungle, god has created the creation in such a way that the instincts are very strong for most of the animals the instincts are strong they most probably are not doing something rationally but their instincts are programmed in such a way that you will find that the nature's balance is maintained just the lion we give that example lion catches its prey it feeds on it The moment it is satiated, it won't look back to the prey at all. The scavengers, the hyenas, the jackals, they are called the scavengers, they clean off the jungle. Otherwise, it will be full of decomposed flesh. So what the lion has left out, if it is left out there, it will just decompose and it will just, the entire forest will be stinking. Not only that, it will be spreading germs. The scavenger means the cleaners, the sweepers, the the scavengers. So the jackals, the hyenas, they're called the scavengers. Why? They feed on the remaining portion That what lion has left out. They will be hiding. And they, when the lion has left, they will come. They will feed on what is remaining. And then when they also have been satiated, they also also left you find that some vulture is sitting on the tree. They also get their share. The vulture also will come and get its share. So everyone has its share. No one is holding. But as a human being, where we find the instinct is weak, that's why we need dharma. Dharma means dharayate ti dharma. That which helps us to, that which holds us, Dharayate, that which holds us. That which integrates us. As our instinct is weak, the rationality has taken the our intellect has taken the place of instinct. We with our intelligence can choose what to do, what not to do. We are not forced to be guided by the instincts. And now we will find that as instinct is not working, we have developed the tendency to hold that when. We find something, we go to the market, we find something is quite, the price has gone down, we buy a lot, whatever we have, we don't share it. We keep it in that fridge, something called, called fridge. So it's good, to a certain extent, it is good because to maintain our family, we have to save. But it, when it becomes an obsession, that holding, we go beyond our, what you say, what we need, we go on holding. And that's the thing which is the cause of all the social evils. Because that is a scene. Why? You'll find that because of this hoarding, the entire world's problem is because of the hoarding, this tremendous gap between the rich and the poor, this polarity, that 99% of the world's wealth is with only 1% of the population. All the governments are constantly scratching their head to find out ways how to extract that wealth and distribute among the masses. It's very difficult because once, if one person becomes wealthy, it is they who influence the politicians to keep the laws in such a way that they do get the benefit. It is they who are holding the power, real power. Sometimes the politicians also become the puppets in their hands, so it is very difficult. But we understand one thing, that that is the cause of all the evils. It is the cause of all the evils. That we are creating these haves and have-nots. And that is Papa. What is that in our Sanskrit, Punya and Papa in one line it has been defined. That what is Punya and what is Papa? Papaya That's as simple as that. Whenever you are trying to reach out by helping others. <laughs> that what you need you feel that, that the same need the others also have and when I have the resource I reach out. That is Parapokar and that is Punya. Whenever you are trying to relate to the entire existence through service, that is Punya. Just going to the shrine is not Punya. That nowadays we will find that that sometimes that the Parents are so much uh, fastidious about the rituals, about the marriage that this has to be done, that has to be done, and then sometimes they don't, they forget that are those two persons really have developed those good qualities? Like they were this, they respect each other, they think for the other. Those things become secondary. If they say that we don't want all those rituals, they will be extremely annoyed those rituals are very important but they never think that how those two persons they are going to stay with the entire life if they say i don't we don't want the rituals <clears throat> but they are a man of integrity they are doing the punya they are going to lead a very nice life so what sometimes in the name of religion we give too much importance to all those paraphernalia we forget whether the human has really developed those qualities or not so the scriptures very plainly has said, paropokarapunnihaya. Whether you're an atheist or you're a theist, doesn't matter. They're all matas. They're all just varied opinions. You may have believed, you may not have belief. The real thing which we, that we uh, society should judge that your belief is up to you. I have nothing to say about it. But what's the fruit of that belief? That what that belief has made you that is more important to me. Whether you are a Christian, whether you are a Hindu, whether you are a Muslim, that doesn't matter. What's the fruit? As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that all the religions are <clears throat> highly potent, highly effective because all of them have produced great men. That is the only criteria. Have any religion? Is there any religion which has not produced great men? You may say, but along with that, they have produced many. They're the worst of the humanity, but Swami Vivekananda is giving a very nice example. When you judge a tree, how you judge the best fruit that it gives with that, not with the rotten fruits. You know, with if if even one or two fruits are very good, you know, if I take care of this plant, then there's so many fruits which are getting rotten. I can avoid that. With with care, the fruits won't cannot the rotten number of rotten fruits can be reduced. And I can get more and more that good quality fruit. But the, if the tree doesn't yield good fruits, however we care, it's that variant itself is not good. We can never get good fruits from it. If you find even a single good fruit, you know it's a very good variant. Now with care, I can eat, have a much higher yield. I can reduce the fruits which are going west. So if any of the religion has not produced a single good person, yes, it has to be thrown out. If it has produced a single person, who is really what, know it for certain, it has a tremendous potenti- potency to create men. So the mothers are not important because we know that all the relig- <coughs> religions, <coughs> even among the atheists, you find the most reformed persons. So whatever they believe, that doesn't matter. What's the product of that belief? What's the fruit we are getting of that belief? That's important. Sometimes we don't give that importance to that fruit. So paropakaarapunyaya. So what you believe is not important. That whether you have with your belief, you have developed an attitude. You have developed a personality which really thinks for others, is compassionate towards others, tries to help others through altruism, is having empathy. It's not only feeling, it has to be converted into doing. Nowadays, in the present culture, we find morning news, when you see the havocs going on throughout the world, most of us feel and we get so much attached to that feeling, but we do nothing. So and sometimes we think, oh, I feel so much, I must be a good person. So that's why Swamiji is saying that feeling must be converted into doing, otherwise it is just a waste of energy in the form of emotionalism. So the feeling should be converted into doing. So, those who can convert their feeling, first you have to feel and then you have to do something. So, those who do that, they're all good. Rest all, papaya parapirana. So, whenever my way of life, consciously or unconsciously, is resulting in the suffering of others, know it for certain, that is papa. That's as simple as that. So, when I think what I have earned, I have the full right to enjoy myself, whether I share it or not, that is a choice. Those who share it, well and good, that is their option. I need not share. Know it for certain. We are incurring sin. That is the only sin because too much of hoarding is the cause of all the social evils, whether ecologically or in our relations, everywhere we find it is the hoarding. Which is the cause of all the pita, all the suffering. So that's why this, that's the thing which is this loka is indicating that what yagya shishta, that yajya again and again we say it has to be taken in the broad, in the broad sense. Yagya doesn't mean just the fire sacrifice. That's why the most religious person can be the most horrible person. He may be as, for one hour or two hours daily when he's spending his time. For with his rituals, with his prayers, he might be extremely devoted, but he has created a boundary wall that this is religious, remaining is secular. So the person who in one side is creating temples with the uh, with the riches, is creating temples, building temples, and there's a lot of elaborate uh, worship. And donating in some this, in India we find is this, you know, the places where the sadhus go for the bhiksha, so satras. But at the same time, you you will find the same person when he is in his business, he will be doing all sorts of horrible things. Even uh, to get some land, they may even kill some people But at the same time, the same person, he thinks that all those things which I have to do in my business, I can get rid of them by doing some punya in the form of building temples and feeding the uh, the sadhus. So what it speaks of that in Bengali, they say that guru mere jutodan, that in Hinduism that say that killing cow is a sin. And someone after killing the cow with the skin of the cow prepares the shoes and donates it to others. So most of our punya is like that. We are doing pira. And then in the name of spirituality, we are again doing something which is good for all. But we have created a very clean demarcation between secular and spiritualism. Know it for certain, spirituality is not a part-time affair. It cannot be a part-time affair. If I have to be spiritual, it has to be, it has to permeate my entire life. It has to does uh, affect, transform the entire life, not a part of it. So as long as we cannot do that, know it for certain, we are doing yajya in a limited sense. Yajya, that's why the as, as entire idea of yagya in Bhagavad Gita is taken from the Shatapata Brahmana. But in the Vedic age, the idea of yajya has evolved. In the, Even in the Vedas, in the Shatapata Brahman, in the much later uh, portion of the Vedas, we find the yagya idea has been elaborated to mean the idea of interdependence. So unless we understand yagya in that way, this locus will have a very limited meaning. So it can have a very, very elaborate meaning if the idea of yagya is being interpreted as the idea of the law of interdependence. So now Bhagavan will be giving a very particular example to explain the idea of yagya, he will Give the example of a chakra, the will of interdependence, with the help of rain. So let us read those slokas, the fourteenth, fifteenth, and the sixteenth sloka. The fourteenth. Now, what that? How everything is interdependent? How all the things follow uh, just uh, follow a cycle. So one of the cycle is being indicated here. What is that? Anad bhavanti bhutani. parjanyat. Anna Sambhava. <coughs> Yagyat Bhavati parjanya. Yagya Karma Samudhava. That's the 14th. Let us read the 15th because these two slokes have to be read together. The 15th, what it is saying? Karma Brahmudhavang Vidhi. Brahmak Shara Samudhavam. Tasmat Sarva Gatang Brahma. Nityam Yagye Pradishtitam. So, the entire world is being defied by the idea of Yajna here. Everything has been made spiritual. What? That annath, that from food, the entire existence come into being. (coughs) That we cannot think of existence, the Bhuta. Bhuta means everything that is born. (coughs) Sorry. Whatever is born is Bhūta, from bhudhatu it came. So whatever these sentient beings, that has came from Anna, from food. Parjanyat, Parjanyat Anna-sambhava. And the, from where this Anna came? From Parjanya. Parjanya means rain. From where the rain came? Yajyat Bhavati Parjanya. From yagya the rain came. Yagya karma samudbhava. And yagya is any yagya we have to do. It means a sequence of actions, rituals that it's mentioned, that how elaborate the rituals are, all the actions we have to do. So if you take it literally, you will find still in India that happens. When there's a drought, suddenly someone will be declaring that let us do yagya. there will be rain. Throughout India, still we find that when the drought is there, the so-called, uh, the, some of the very orthodox traditions will be prescribing yagya, huge yagyas will be done. So, so if we take it in a limited sense, that's where we end up. But if we take the idea of yagya as the cycle of interdependence, that how the rain comes, that when a real yagya, where it is going on, when there is rain, the plant grows. When the, how the plant grows, the rain actually, when the rain falls, it, the water is going to the underground. The a plant in turn, takes that water for its own growth. Not only that, when it is taking that water through the roots, there is something called evapotranspiration. That it needs water for its own sustenance, but at the same time, the water also evaporates from its leaves and mainly from its leaves. And you will be astonished to know that we think there is a large body of water, the ocean. So nowadays you will see that many are saying that even if trees are not there, for such three-fourths of the surface is ocean and the water is being evaporated from the ocean, the clouds will be formed. Why they say that if the trees are not there, the rain is not there. You'll be surprised to know That in spite of the fact there's such a huge water body that most of the earth is covered, surface covered with water. But 80% of the cloud, you know, the responsibility is this evapotranspiration. The water which is drawn by the plants from the underground and which is evaporated. Not only that, when the rain falls on the leaves, whatever water remains on the leaves from there directly also it's evaporated. So, this evapotranspiration for which the plant is the medium that is responsible for the, our rainfall. The clouds, or there's in when there is a forest, this the water is being drawn from the underground, and the plants are this. What is it? Evaporating it to the atmosphere, and these clouds are carried to the regions where there are no plants, even they are getting the rains. So if you take the yagya here in this sense of interdependence, the plant depends on rain. And again, rain depends on plant. Without the plants, there cannot be rain. There cannot be clouds, there cannot be rain. So here that cycle of interdependence is formed. So annad bhavanti bhutani, so from now we, sustain on food from anna the food comes from parjanya from rain rain comes from that in, this interdependence that's yagya the cycle of interdependence and this parjanya this and uh, from where the yagya comes from karma the idea this karma means what that when the creation comes into existence you, the next shloka will say kram from, from, from where the karma comes Karma comes from brahma, brahmaod bhavang Vidhi. When the the creation is not there, brahman alone exists. The non-dual consciousness alone is there. When it finds expression as the phenomenal existence, that brahma finds expression as shakti, as energy. The entire universe, whatever we see, the shakti is the thing which is the only thing which we perceive. It is the expression of energy, expression of various types of forces. So creation, this this phenomenal existence is nothing but Shakti. That Shakti speaks of karma. And that karma speaks of rhythm. That all the act, that's the Shakti expressions which we find, that Shakti, that karma is not chaotic. It's not just simply chaotic, just like the explosion of a bomb. It only destroys the nuclear, the power, nuclear power. Just take the example of nuclear power. The nuclear nuclear power can destroy. But if we can have the same nuclear reaction in a controlled way, in a reactor, through the controlled nuclear fission, the thing, the same energy instead of destroying will be providing us with electricity, will be providing something which is beneficial for the society so what it speaks of when you can control that energy it finds expression as something constructive so here also that karma speaks of shakti of energy tremendous dynamism but that dynamism is guided by yagya it is not chaotic a tremendous action is there but God, when he created this creation, as we read in the 10th sloka, Saha Yagya Praja He created along with Yagya. When he created this creation, he created it along with that Yagya. whether all the actions should follow certain principles, certain laws. There should be some rhythm behind the creation. So Yagya is one of those rhythm that all these actions has to follow that cycle of interdependence. So now you will find that it has such a broad, it gives such a broad meaning. It is not speaking of uh, just the Yajna which is being prescribed in the Vedas. That just a literal translation of what it will be. That the Vedas is Apovrasya. It is from the breath of Brahman it came. And in that, in the Vedas, all the uh, rituals are mentioned. The rituals that constitute a particular yagya is mentioned. So this all the rituals are the karma that with that you follow that all the karma, all the steps which has been mentioned with all those karma, you do the yagya, there will be rain. Uh, should we deny that there cannot be rain with the yagya? Yes, there may be. We don't know. There must be some science behind it. But would you agree to the fact that we have the right to just deforest everything and then when there's no rent, we do the yagya and rent comes? So we are not denying the fact that yagya doesn't bring rain. maybe it's bring rents. But if we don't take this sloka in the much more elaborate sense, we will be missing the point that speaks of the religion which we find prevalent in our, in our country means in India, not, not we, I won't say, yeah, in Australia also it has happened, the desert of Australia is the result of deforestation. The Australia was not a desert. The when the aboriginals were staying here, they were staying in a, a very, very green country. It's, Australia has become desert in the last 200, 300 years. I was just going through a documentary a few days back and now they're trying to revive again. There's a lot of plantations are going on. We are learning. So sometimes we really think that who are the real barbarians? Who <laughs> the real barbarians? It is we who have destroyed the aborigines whom we, we the people that, that after the Western culture came, they were thinking of making them civilized. Now just let us think that who are the civilized? They were staying with the nature for ages together. And in 200 years, we can make, we have made a continent, a total desert. So that's the same thing going on everywhere. And then if you take the idea of yoga that when we have made the desert, now we come and just pour some ghee in the fire in a particular way and chant some mantras. Mantras have tremendous power and rain will come. You just uh, get rid of all the trees and let's see how the yagya can bring the rain. Is it something that that uh, what you say that uh, uh, so, so much like, uh, the religion is to be mystified? It's not take it in a very rational sense that this entire creation follows the will of interdependence. And if we have disturbed it, know it for certain, we are like thieves. We are feeding on sin and it it is bound to be followed by some punishment. If you have stolen, you will be punished and we are being punished. So that's the thing which is being indicated that all beings come from food, food comes from rain, rain comes from yagya, yagya comes from karma, karma comes from Brahma. So this way Gita has, Bhagavad Gita has sanctified the entire creation that whatever you see is actually ha- is, has been projected from Brahman. Brahman has found expression as the cosmic mind. In that cosmic mind, the karma, the, all the action is hidden there. It's all there. But that karma is in the form of yajna. In, in the, that when that karma finds expression, it always finds expression in particular laws. And yajna is such one of such laws. This idea of interdependence, and we are bound to follow it. A law cannot be a law if it can be it is broken. Law is something which cannot be broken. We say that we have broken law. We can never break law. In our attempt to break law, we will be broken. If we just if the, the we don't follow the law of the so of the country, at last we will be broken. We will be punished. We will be behind the jails. Similarly. This law of the entire creation, it cannot be broken. If we try to break it, we will be punished. We cannot break that law. It, it is, we have the choice whether we follow it or not. If we follow it well and good, if we don't follow it, we are bound to get the result of it. We cannot break the law in any way. As Swami Vivekananda used to say that truth never pays homage to the society. Truth never pays homage to the society truth is truth. The society has to pay homage to the truth or else die, as simple as death. The truth will never pay homage to the society. The society has to orient itself as per the truth or else it will be just inviting its own annihilation. So here this Yajya, we have to take the idea of the plant's capacity of evapotranspiration. So from that the rain comes. The cloud is formed, the rain comes, and the rain again uh, sustains the vegetation and this cycle is going on. The one who doesn't follow that circle, what's the result? That's been mentioned in the 16th sloka, evang pravartitam chakram. This chakra which has been pravartita, if yagya means only some, uh, what you say, that uh, some uh, ritual, some act. Then it is not pravartita because it is something which is just uh, to be done in a particular time, in a particular situation. This pravartita means that which has been emanated from the divine, which is always going on. It is not something to be done at a particular time. Pravartita means it, it has since the inception of the creation, it is going on. What is going on? This chakra. This will of interconnectedness, chakra. This chakra is going on, na The one who does not follow. For them, what happens? The three things they are saying: aghayu, indriya, ramu, partha, sajivati. So he's aghayu. He's just uh, he's or her, her life agha ayu this agha ayu is a combination of two words agha and ayu ayu means your lifespan agha means sin means your entire life is full of sin agha ayu your entire lifespan is sinful so you are sinful that's the idea of sin in uh, the bhagavad gita indriya rama you just become you just become obsessed with the sensory pleasures only the indriya gives you arama, indriya-arama. All the pleasures is just from the senses. And your life is mogha, you're living the life in vain. So these are the three things which Bhagavan is saying, that if you don't, this law is something which is being projected from the absolute reality. And that's the law of the creation. As a human being, we have the the capacity to follow it or to break it. We can break it. But uh, sorry, we may not follow it. We cannot break it. We may not follow it. But that will cause in our disintegration. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that when someone says, is there something called absolute truth? Sri Ramakrishna's answer was very simple. That uh, with the modern, in the modern uh, age, now the things have started changing. But we started saying that there is nothing called absolute truth, everything is man-made. What you say, what the religions, the church says as do's and don'ts, we don't believe. From their standpoint, it, is, it may be true. From my standpoint, it is not true. But truth cannot be relative. It, there must be some absolute truth. So when in the days of Ramakrishna, this was a quite a uh, discussed topic, that is there something called absolute truth? Sri Ramakrishna's reply was very simple. It was not a direct answer. He told, jhal Jhalat, that if you eat chili, you are bound to feel hot. You may say, What is what, what, this answer? How it relates to the question? The words are so simple, we miss the point. What he's saying is very important that when you are having your meals in a separate plate, some chilies are kept. Now, whether I take the chili or not is my choice. I may take the chili, I may not take the chili, but I will take the chili, eat it, and won't have that hot sensation. I just want the flavor of the chili, but not that hot sensation. Is it possible? Not. If you don't take, well and good. If you take, you're bound to feel that hot sensation because it is something which is the plan of the divine, which is is programmed. You cannot avoid it. That I will take the chili, but I won't have the hot sensation, it can never be. So these laws or something like that cannot be broken. You may follow it, you may not follow it. If you follow it, well and good. You lead the life of integration. If you don't follow, you will be disintegrated. Your life is agha you. It is that, that, as we again told that criteria of sin is what? That one of the uh, this, and from another standpoint, we can understand what is sin, that whenever our individual welfare, we are so much obsessed with our individual welfare that it transgresses the collective welfare. That is sin. To give a common example, when you are passing through the road, you are just uh, driving, what the collective welfare that speaks of? The traffic lights. The traffic lights has been programmed in such a way that all gets their due share for going to the destination in correct time. If only one person gets the entire advantage, you will always end up in the red signal because uh, others will be getting the due advantage. So that's not, that all should get uh, there, the proper, this balance of uh, what you say that, uh, of scope. So sometimes we get the red signal, sometimes the green signal. So this signal light speaks of the collective welfare. It has been programmed in such a way, it is thinking of the welfare of all. But if I just simply drive without following the signal, because I have to reach my destination, I am very, I'm in a hurry. So what are you doing? Of course, I will be losing my points. I will be incurring a lot of fine. Why? Because that is proper. your individual welfare just transgresses the collective welfare. So we give that aghayu, that. There are so many ways we can find that there is something which is working, which is much bigger, the larger than life, whatever you may call it God or whatever it may be. Have you ever thought of that we as a human being doesn't have, do not have the uh, capacity to decide that when the parents are going to have children, whether it is going to be a boy or it is a girl, can you decide? You cannot decide. It is something random. It may be a boy, it may be a girl. If you live in the hand of the nature, we think it is random, but is it really random? If you leave it in the hand of nature, don't disturb it. The male and the female ratio is almost same. It's a wonderful thing. Some traffic light, like say someone has programmed the traffic light that no one knows who whether he is going to have a boy or girl. But if you take the collective, the number of boys and the number of girls are same. But we, have, we know that in a patriarchal society where the male member is wanted, with the modern science, we know the way to scan and find out whether the child who's in the mother's room is a boy or a girl, and it can be aborted if it is a girl. And there is a tremendous difference of the ratio. We are so myopic. At the beginning, we thought it's all okay. We will get the male child, We don't want the female, and just see. There are villages where there's not a single female, it's all male. And in just in two or three decades, they found that what a big sin they have done. It's a big sin. They never considered that sin can never be hidden. They say, you can never hide a sin. It has to find expression. See how nice it has to find expression. It is bound to find expression. Why, again, that same thing you are disturbing the already created cycles. So your Agha, your life becomes full of sin. That I'm just, we are giving just one example that how it becomes total event, but because because of our excessive greed, we don't think of the ecological balance. We don't think of the uh, collective welfare. We out of greed, we want to just have whatever we want And that way we disturb the yajna, the cycles, which are inbuilt in nature. And then we find that we have really committed sin, historical blunders, that in the name of controlling the population, now you will find that many of the countries, what is happening, that the senior citizens are the 80% of the population. So who will do the work? The country with huge population has to have immigration. They don't know how to feed the uh, elders, but at the same time, they don't have sufficient workforce because it was going so how, how, again, we have disturbed the cycles. How we are disturbing the, when we are, how we are, when we are disturbing the cycle that we are committing sin and what is the uh, thing to understand that we are committing sin is bound to be indriya We are too much obsessed with our sensual pleasures. All the sensual pleasures makes us myopic. When we try to gratify our senses, we become myopic, very short-sighted. We cannot see what is waiting in the long, in the long go. We just see the immediate short-term pleasure and go for it. And in the meantime, We again disturb the entire, the present world, all the luxuries are at the cost. Luxuries are meant for what? For Indriyarama. My car, my AC, my everything is for the pleasure of my senses. But we know they're all at the cost of the ecological balance. Your air conditioned machine, your car, we don't... We don't say that we have to, we have to discourage, but we have never given importance to the ecological balance, we did it at the cost of the climate, we did it at the cost of the ecology, we did it at the cost of our relations. So at the present, you will find that that how that our greed, our more and more need for luxury has resulted in this in this fuel consumption the air conditioners, your industries, slaughterhouses. See, uh, many will be saying that, uh, that nowadays these vegan movements are there, vegetarianism is there. But we, as we have gone to the extreme, nothing was required because the plan of the universe is such that that for your existence, the moment you are hungry, it is at the cost of some life, whether vegetation or it is animal flora or fauna, you have to kill someone. There cannot. That's why in Brihadarana Kupanishad it is mentioned, the moment you are hungry it is at the cost of someone's life. Actually even we cannot live a single moment without killing others. When I am sitting without even having food, I just take the uh, vow of that, uh, what you say, that fasting unto death. And I may think that now I am not killing anyone. But as long as I'm alive, I'm still killing because my antigen constantly through my breath, the microbes are going in and my antigens, antibodies in the body are constantly fighting, constantly cleaning the bacteria. In some form or other, life is being killed. It's going on. But when I do it out of greed, you know, in the, I, even many says that Hinduism is, is equal to vegetarianism, false. It's a false idea. There are the shaktas who have the idea of this sacrifice, the animal sacrifice. The, if the entire Hinduism is equated with Vaishnavism, we will do a big blunder. They are also part, the shaktas, they do sacrifice animals in front of the deity. And many will be criticizing these are the horrible acts which has to be stopped. That in front of all the animal is brought and killed, but we forget that killing of the animals in the sacrifice is actually restriction of violence, not license for violence. The real violence is actually in the slaughterhouses where millions of animals are killed. No one speaks of that. A few animal is killed in front of a deity, and then there's a huge uproar. They, for, they don't know that what's the basic principle behind it. That we cannot, as a human being, there are people of various temperaments. And there are persons of some of the working class. Those who are just sedentary workers, they may not need. Those who are, you cannot stop. A particular section of the population will resort to meat eating, will resort. However, you may try to stop it. You cannot stop it. So what this through the tantras in the shakta society, what they did actually restricted this, propensity for eating this too much of meat. what that okay, if you have to eat meat, you cannot eat directly. There are only particular type of animals that can be sacrificed. So that way you are restricting your sacrifice to particular animals, not anything and everything. You cannot just kill anything and everything. Particular animals that also on particular days like Amavasya, not every day. And you can have cannot have meat just uh, whenever you want only after offering it to the divine on particular days only particular animals that can be sacrificed you can have so what through that what you're what they were trying to do to sublimate those all those tendencies that you're restricting actually that he cannot take meat every day only on particular days and that also uh, a particular type of animal, and that also after offering. So what happens? Your propensities are sublimated when you take out of greed. It is just, yeah. What you say that uh, it is the just something a sensual act. But you all, we all have experienced that when something is offered to the divine, a sense of sacredness gets involved in it. That it is a prasadam. Then your propensity is being. Transformed into devotion. Very nice. Gradually, you will find your devotion is increasing. Your weakness is becoming your strength with that weakness, which is not allowed to go rampant. You are restricting there. And at the same time, you are sublimating it. But those things are criticized. But what is not criticized? In the slaughterhouse, millions of animals, in the most cruel way, are killed every day. No one is bothered about that. If those few uh, sacrifices goes on in front of the deity, it is not going to disturb the balance because the food cycle is such, the God has created, the predator will be there. The, uh, what you say? The animals which are, um, are to be fed upon, they will be there. It's, it's, it's something part of the nature. It's a creation is uh, built that way. But when we just forget the balance, our greed, that as Mahatma Gandhi used to say, that the world has sufficient resource for our needs, but it doesn't have sufficient resource for our wants. What you need for that sufficient resource is there, but there is no not sufficient resource for our wants. And that's what speaks of the indriyarama, Rama, that our extreme greed, our extreme need for luxury, this society which is always going for you know, this, this consumption. That again results in indriya rama. This, all that whenever I am not aware of the yagya, it is resulting in sin, it is making us sensually obsessive, and his life is of, of in vain. Moga. Why, Moga? with all this greed at last, do we really enjoy? But as we were saying, that 99% of the wealth is with one percent of the population. Who is enjoying it? Most of us are, we will find are the victim of this type of this type of social structure so the life becomes in when you may have a very high gdp but people are suffering because the way that the gdp is measured is the total wealth where it is with only 1% of the population so, so that way we find that the people are still suffering that's the, and all the progress has happened at the cost of the people who were who are supposed to be happy? Sometimes we feel that all the this the, what you say is uh, this society with all its so-called uh, this tailored growth. From outwardly it looks so nice, but we it's almost like a pruned garden. The garden when it is pruned properly it looks nice, but we forget all the plant has been pruned. As a human being, do you want to be pruned? so that the entire garden looks nice. So that's what has happened with so-called the present, uh, all the uh, flourishment that which we see in the society. When Swami Vivekananda in the West was going around, Western disciples who were proud of their own civilization, they were pointing out, just see how the West has progressed. Swami Vivekananda immediately told, where you see progress, I see exploitation. From where you get this wealth, so the colonialism it is all which you have extracted from a particular part of the world to build up your empire. I see only that uh, is greed, it is not progress. So that's the idea. If all your wealth, all your pam- this pomp and glory at last is hiding the suffering of the majority, what's that growth for? So that is in vain. So that's the simple thing which Bhagawan in a very plain word is saying. That if you break the cycle, you're you're leading a life of sin, aghayu, indriyarama. That is where you're too much obsessed by your own sensual pleasure. You are extremely selfish. And after all, with all your selfishness, you get nothing. You'll find that it is, after all, neither resulting in abhyudaya, social welfare, nor nisriyasiya, nor in your own well-being. So that's the idea which Bhagavan, with the help of this cycle, is explaining in this 14th, 15th and the 16th sloka. So we will proceed with the remaining portion of the third chapter of Karma Yoga. It's a wonderful chapter, this Karma Yoga. From a broad perspective, if you try to understand, it's a really a wonderful uh, chapter which shows the basic science behind Karma Yoga. So we will continue it again in the next class. But the next class is not in the next week. As we are going to have the Christmas break, as like every year, because this is the time when most of the people will be going to um, uh, uh, in holidays. We're, we're going for holidays and all, so uh, we will just give uh, have a few weeks uh, just uh, leave, and then we again will be having our classes after 15 January. The first class, which comes after 15 January, the first Sunday. On that, we will again have our class. On 15 January, most probably we will have Swami Vivekananda's birthday. That's the Sunday. The next Sunday, we will have the Bhagavad Gita class. So with this, we stop our discussion to- today. Wish you all a happy new year. Thank you all. Namaskars.